Hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Nice to have you today. Donald, I'm excited to be here, man. This is this is uh, going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, Paul, why don't you um, give us a quick introduction about, you know, who you are, what you do, and what you're helping um, investors do as well. Yeah, yeah. Paul Neal, as you said, um, I'm a serial entrepreneur, Donald, been in business, uh, self-employed, owning businesses since, uh, what, 1990. And um, I'm right now the principal funding strategist at Vantage Point Commercial Capital. That's our, our company right now. We focus our energies working with entrepreneurs, business owners, and real estate investors in basically three areas, um, uh, commercial real estate, acquisitions and structuring the deals, um, business acquisitions themselves, um, and growth capital. So anything you know wrapped in those three areas is where we tend to focus. And uh, we're, uh, we're having a fun time right now. It's an interesting world we're in right now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely some interesting time. So and speaking on that, well, what are your thoughts on what we're entering into now? What, what, what is your macro outlook on things? Yeah, yeah. So that's a, obviously a long question. And I'm not an economist, but my, my perspective, having been through multiple cycles over the over the years, over the decades now, I guess I could say, living through the great, you know, the great recession of 08 and the great real estate collapse on the residential side, you know, it's it's just it, we are in different times right now, um, but they're different than they were then. There's a lot of gloom and doom out there. You know, I think um, was it Warren Buffett who summed it up? The philosophy that that I really try to live by. It's hard, and that is, you know, mm. be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful. And so there's a lot of fear right now that's being stoked up, and some of it's warranted, but a lot of it's overblown. Things are things are temporary. Things are cyclical, and we're in a cycle now. You know, you know, we couldn't stay in you know, um, free the fr free money land forever. There's you know, there's mm -hmm. an impact there, and the pendulum swings back and forth. Um, at the same time, you know, we're in now October of 2022. You know, the inflation report just came out uh, for September. You know, they they released it in October, and it was it was bad. Um, there's no way to sugarcoat that. However, when you look at the year-over-year -year numbers comparison, the numbers in October last year were a lot higher. So the comparison, when the, when the November report comes out of October, you're going to see that that number is starting to recede a little bit. So, so I think, and a lot of people that I smarter than I think, we're, we're starting to move into a period that coupled with a general slowing of the economy, we're going to see interest rates start to settle down probably in the first quarter of next year, they're not going to drop, but, but, you know, normalize and maybe start to head down a little bit. I think it, I think it creates great opportunity for us and great opportunity for entrepreneurs and business owners to, um, to, to, to make some adjustments and then be prepared for the next set of opportunities that present themselves. And Paul, you touched on um, inflation a bit. So what are your thoughts on, I hear a small percentage of, um, I mean, I don't know if you call them naysayers or doom and doom and gloom, but you they talk about the reported inflation numbers versus what the real inflation numbers are. So some people say the real inflation numbers could be as high as 18 to 23 percent. What are your what are your thoughts on that on how much validity do you think there is to those kind of assumptions? Well, I mean, I think there's some truth to that, but I think that's always been going on. 
you know, we've got a wonderful government that, you know, that can do all kinds of funny things with numbers, right? And how they always change the, you know, the basket of goods that that they put in their numbers for for inflation, CPI and things like that. Also, we've got very creative corporations. I mean, we've all seen this over the years. It, it might have become more obvious recently, but, you know, the tubes of toothpaste have gotten a little bit smaller every year, mm. right? <laughs> I, I, the, the, you know, the, your six pack of soda, the cans have gotten a little smaller. So my favorite is the, is the uh, ice cream, right? That the half a gallon mm. of ice cream, <laughs> you know, and we're finally going to adopt the metric system, I think in the U S because we need to confuse everyone on how much quantity, you know, is yeah. in the packaging that we buy. But I think that's actually been going on for quite a while. So I think that in my opinion, it's kind of baked into the numbers that it's always there to, a, you know, to a certain extent. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, uh, you know, numbers don't lie, but liar was it figures don't lie, but liars can figure. So, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the baselines that we operate on sort of have that baked in, I think, and always have at the end of the day. Um, you know, and you could also argue though, there is a lot of deflation as well, like in technology, right? Mm. I mean, you look at, mm. you know, the ability, for instance, to work at home versus going and having an office space, like I had a business um, up through 2008 that that was kind of a victim of the Great Recession, and we had a massive amount of office space. We had, you know, for our business. I mean, it was it was a it was a nice multi million dollar business, quite a few employees, pretty big chunk of a Class A office building. And um, today, I don't need anywhere near the number of people or the office space. I can work mm -hmm. from home. I could have my staff work from home, and so just the overhead cost of business went down there, not to mention the cost of, you know, a computer and, you know, all the technology and things we do today. So there's some offsetting factors there, I think that, you know, combined, you know, food, yeah, food is expensive and, and that's, that's always going to go up. But um, anyway, you know, it is what it is, right? It, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. We can all prognosticate one way or another. Nobody has a crystal ball. Everybody's got an opinion, but at the end of the day, we still have to do something, right? So yeah, if we absolutely. sit on the sidelines, you know, we move forward, we, you know, um, we can't change the wind, we can't change the rain, we can't change the sunshine, we can't change the soil, we just have to deal with what we have and, and move forward. Yeah, and there's, there's definitely a lot of, I mean, you know, a lot of um, teams are out there raising capital and you hear that a lot from investors, well, I'm just gonna sit on the sideline for now and mm. you have to wonder, well, is that a good solution with inflation eating away at 10 to 12% of your money? Is that any more safer than going out there finding a good deal to invest. So is, right. there a good, is there a good solution? Well, I think too, you know, you're right about that. I think too, like on the, on, in the business acquisition space and even in the investor space, when you have, you know, the, the silvering, the silver wave, they call it right. Of, of business owners or maybe investors that, that are ready to start, you know, peeling away some of their portfolio. Um, you see that with um, like, we run into this from time to time, an older investor that maybe was on the single family side and he had 50 properties he's accumulated. And now he's like 65 and he's like, oh, I don't want to deal with this anymore. You know, so I'm going to start peeling off these. And a lot of times uh, you can pick up portfolios or pieces of a portfolio. We see that happen a lot in business. The same thing. Hey, I weathered the storm in 2008 to 2012. I'm now 65. I'm doing pretty well. 
I've got a pretty good lifestyle. I could punch out now because I don't know how long this recession is going to last. I don't think I really want to go through this again. I could punch out, make you know a, a, a nice little payday for myself and sell it to somebody else and move on. So I think, again, in a sense like that, it creates opportunity if we're not looking for those, because there's a whole lot of people that are in that age range that are like, yeah. I'm just, you know, I've done well. And I'm like, okay, I, how, how much money do I really need? Do I really want the stress? Do I want to yeah. keep doing this or potentially go through something that I could face? Or do I want to turn the keys over to some some younger person that, uh, you know, has a lot of uh, a lot of energy and drive and, and is still hungry? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that so often, the amount of baby boomers out there that are retiring from their businesses or looking to exit their, their, their real estate purchases. Like you mentioned, it's, it's so much out there. Yeah. Because I mean, think about it when things are going, when things are constantly going up, you know, just thinking real estate. So, you know, you don't want to sell yet because you think if I hold it a little bit longer, I can make, you know, X amount more. Well, if I've got a business that's growing and profitable and it's kind of like, you know, not very stressful because everything, you know, rising tides, raising all ships, then I'm going to hang around as long as I can. I'm going to milk that sucker. Right. Yeah. But as soon as the tide starts to shift, it's like, Oh no, I don't want to deal with actually mm -hmm. having to go into work anymore and deal with these problems and all that. I'm just going to sell and, and take my chips off the table and move on. Yeah. So now's a great time for that. And, and you, you, you weren't going to see that a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. So Paul, so you guys help, help structure deals, find alternative means of capital. So can you talk a little bit about why, why people in that space need a lending partner on their team? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Donald. So, you know, you've got your professionals, if you're, if you're a business owner or an investor, you've got your CPA, you've got your attorney, you've got, you know, different people that are giving you advice. As you know now, if you didn't realize it before, you know you're you're always going to need money as a as a business owner investor. Um, there's always an opportunity for it, and the market is very fluid, very dynamic. It's not something that you can necessarily just pick up the phone and call your local bank and say, "I want money for this or money for that." You know those days are long gone. Um, banks lenders, investors all have their own sort of appetite for what they want in their portfolio. That appetite changes, you know, sometimes on a dime based upon economic conditions, um, could be, you know, a board of directors decision, could be a lot of things, but what they were interested in last week, they might not be interested in today. Hmm. The, you know, also there in this new world we're in, there's so many more opportunities out there for capital um, investment, creative ways to, to fund deals that most business owners, real estate investors, particularly business owners are in their space and they're running their business. They're, they're, you know, they're in their hedgehog. They're doing the thing that's driving cash flow in their, in their future. They don't have the time, the resources, the bandwidth or the energy to go out and try to understand the capital markets and try to match, you know, what, what it is that they need with what it is that they're doing. Um, you can't just resolve a lot of these questions with a quick Google search. Right. Hmm. So having a lending partner is someone, you know, like I said, I've owned six or seven businesses in my career. Entrepreneurs, business owners, real estate investors are different. And it, it takes really understanding sort of, someone that can really understand your business, your goals, short and long-term, 
that kind of knows where you are so that when you're ready for that next step of, of capital of, of any tape, or maybe it's restructuring existing capital, you know, on your balance sheet. Now um, you've got a partner that, that knows your business, but also knows the market and staying in, in contact with, you know, all the changes and is aware and abreast of, of opportunities because just because you might be able to find financing down the street, you know, is it the best financing for you? Yeah. Is it the best opportunity? You know, is it, is it, is it, is it full recourse when maybe you could have non-recourse? Is it, mm. you know, is it, um, um, requiring a lot of your capital to make the deal work or, you know, can you get a better leverage? Can you get a better rate? Can you, you know, are they going to want certain covenants? So they're going to be in your financial knickers every year to find out how you're operating. You know, there's a lot of pitfalls out there. So having someone on your side of your team who, who can basically know you and sell you to the money world, basically to try to find the best deal um, is, is a worthwhile thing to have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, an associate of mine and I were talking, you know, you hear a lot of times they're saying, oh, you need to have relationships with different banks or different financial institutions. And my associate said, yeah, I mean, I have those, but they never, they never equate to me getting a better rate though. Yeah. So yeah. talk about like, why do you think the bank is not your friend? Talk, talk, <laughs> can, you, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh my gosh. How long do you have? So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, you're a necessary evil for the bank. Okay. At the end of the day, most banks don't, don't want to deal with small businesses and they don't want to deal with real estate investors. You know, they serve, you know, first of all, they serve the board of directors, then they serve the regulators. Okay. And then you're somewhere down in that stack. And, you know, it's been said that, you know, you, you, you can only get money from the bank when you don't need it. And that really applies, right? If you've ever been on the backside of a cycle like 2008, where I had, I can't tell you, a countless number of friends and contacts, banks were calling loans left and right, even on performing loans, because they didn't want them in their portfolio anymore. And they had call features. And so they can leave you out to dry, you know, it, it happens, right? So, um, you know, again, it's you you are, you represent a risk to the bank. And if, if for some reason that risk level falls out of their, their box of, of performance, then, then they're not your friend. And then what do you do? So you've spent all this time developing a relationship with one guy, a banker, and he may really like you and he may really want to yeah. help you like your, your friend, but he may not have the tools to do it. Yeah. You know, banks today, I think I heard a study last week, I read about 27% of applications they approve which is pretty low in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And, and, and again, um, that, you know, they may approve it today. They may not prove it tomorrow, but if you could develop a relationship with, with somebody who is in the space, like we are, or maybe somebody like us that can develop relationships across the board, then maybe the bank isn't the answer, but maybe there's a, a family fund of money that's available, private investors. Maybe there's some insurance company money available. Maybe there's some offshore money. It could be all kinds of options available, You know, money looking for a good home. And you might be a great home for them, but the bank wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole, right? So yeah. Yeah. you know, that's, that's, they, they just play by a different set of rules. And generally, the larger the bank, the worse they are, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they all spend... Yeah billions of dollars a year in advertising saying we want to be your community banker. We want to do it. Yeah. They, yeah, they, they don't, that's just marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah you, you, really, you really get to see who they are and what they're about. The closer you come to closing, I think. 
especially the the last week of closing. Then when they start asking, okay, we need this, or we're changing the terms, you really see, yeah, what happened to that warm and fuzzy commercial that you, that you, that I saw about you guys? Yeah, it's 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 um it's not. There's nothing warm and fuzzy about it. And you know, again, it's not. Most of it's not the the banker per se that you're dealing with. They could be you know the best you know guy or gal out there. But, you know, they have got guidelines, they've got committees they got to deal with, they've yeah. got multiple committees, they've got they've got their own overseers and bosses that are telling them, you know, this right. is the way we're going to exactly. do it, it comes on from down high and, and you know, there's, there's just, and, and so it's just not structured, you're just a number today, right? I mean, yeah. we, 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 I, it's funny, older clients I talk to is like, I remember the day I could walk in on a handshake and get money. And I was like, yeah, I remember that day too, a little bit, but, you know. They don't even want to, now you're behind a glass, right? You're just yeah. a number, yeah. unfortunately. So, and you know, the other thing too, here's the other thing that, so now I'm biased because I've, I am an entrepreneur and I've owned businesses, but you know, most of the bankers that you work with have never owned a business, hmm. right? It's like going to a business school and taking classes from a professor that's never actually owned a business. I, I always laugh about that. And, and I didn't go to business school. I studied engineering. And so I'm supremely unqualified to be in business. And that's all I've done my whole life, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I've learned the hard way. I know what it's like to have a payroll coming up on Friday, needing to find $30,000 and not having it in my operating account and mm -hmm. wondering what's going to happen. You know, yeah. um, I've had the calls from the attorneys saying, you know, you know, what are you going to do about this? You know, $200,000 lease, you know, with the economy, you know, I've had all that. So I've seen both sides. And so I think I'm a little more empathy there. When you deal with bankers that have never been through that, they, they want to empathize with you, but it's hard to do it if you've never lived it. Right. And you don't know how much, you know, how much emotional, how, how emotionally invested business owners, entrepreneurs are. It's, it's, it's what you do, right? You're creative. Mm -hmm. It's your life. And, and for them, it's, they go get a paycheck. They're going to get their paycheck, whether your deal closes or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And they're so, going to sleep fine. They're going to sleep fine. Yeah. They don't yeah. have to worry about, am I have to pull my daughter out of private school because yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make my own mortgage payment because not only do I have no revenue anymore because liquidity went to zero, but now I've got all this overhead. I still, you know, I'm like, what, yeah. what's this going to look like, you know, in six months or a year. So, so I think that's the thing about banks and, I mean, honestly, you can extrapolate that too, Donald, and say today we're we're in a fight against, you know, not just like banks and big banks, but big everything, yeah. right? We're fighting, you know, big government, big media, big tech. I mean, these guys, and we saw it in the, in the you know, the pandemic that big everything was allowed to stay open, but little guy, you know, sorry, you have to close your restaurant, close your business. Yeah. If you can't operate remotely from home and you actually have to see your customer, then, you know, good luck. Yeah. Um, and so we're, 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 um, we kind of need each other in that sense. Yeah. And Paul talk. So and you talk about, there's, you know, there's so many more sources of capital out there outside of the bank. So, I mean, say you're doing a deal, you need capital and you, you want to bring in equity partners. Mm -hmm. What, um, what kind of, um, factors or what should you be looking out for when you're choosing an equity partner? What are some of the hidden dangers and when you're looking at equity partners and bringing those in? Yeah. Well, you want to make sure that you're, you're not ceding too much control of your operation to equity partners. Hmm. You know, that's, I think that's one of the big, the big pitfalls that a lot of companies, particularly startups fall into when they get this, you know, venture capital 
Um, mm-hmm. They come in and they take over and they, and they, and so the business loses that control, loses the, the flavor, the, the uniqueness, maybe that the creator, the entrepreneur, you know, brought to it. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those hidden traps. I mean, I think it really, that's, that's the big thing. The, the other thing is equity partners, you know, it sounds great in the early days when you need money, but you don't want any debt, right? Yeah. Or lim- you want to limit your debt. You're like, oh, I'll bring on an equity partner. And I'll tell you a funny story. This is not directly related to equity partner, but I had a business that I bootstrapped in my early days. And I had a guy that was working for me and I needed help growing the business, but I didn't really want to pay him what he probably should have been paid. So I said, Hey, I'll give you a percentage of the profits. If you, you know, come in here and help me grow this thing and build it. And that worked great for the first couple of years. But at, by the time I got to the third year, we were making so much money. He was making way more than he should have been making for what he was doing. Right. (laughs) And so what do you do at that point? Now I could have fired him. I didn't because I I just didn't think that was the right thing to do. But if, you know, but if it's an equity partner, you wouldn't even have that option. Right. Right. So you have to be careful there. It might even, uh, might even pre-negotiate certain buyout opportunities to buy them out at certain stages Mm -hmm. in the process so that you're not sort of hamstrung, you know, to that arrangement forever. Um, I would also be, I would be really cognizant of the value, value proposition in terms of, you know, where they come from, because if their values are completely different from your values, then they're going to have you do things that you wouldn't normally want to do. Right. So I think, I, you know, I think that's deeper than just looking at, you know, a resume or a balance sheet. And so it's, it's tricky when you get into that, it, it becomes very tricky. Um, but, but yeah, there are all kinds of sources of money out there. I mean, from, you know, again, from family, private funds, a lot of money out there looking for homes to, like I said, insurance company money, there's offshore money, there's a lot of sources. And even for instance, within the traditional sources, and I say traditional, like even like SBA, we do a lot of SBA. But you know, there are, you know, virtually every bank in America will do an SBA loan, but most of them have to approve a loan and then go to SBA and have SBA approve the loan after the fact and then fund. And it's a real nightmare and they've gotten a bad rap over the years. But there are some preferred lenders out there that have a direct agreement with SBA that they can fund it and decision it. They don't have to go to the SBA for that. And so you eliminate a whole lot of hassle. So who you choose makes a difference in terms of the experience, the speed to close, and then again, like we said, the terms, whether you can get a fixed rate term or you can get a prime plus variable term, you know, again, and then some bank, some lenders and banks have their own sort of requirements on top of the loans, the SBA. So SBA has their requirements So the bank says, oh, we, we need maybe an extra 5% down from you. Mm-hmm. Like, well, in some owner occupied commercial, we'll do, we'll do 0% down. We have some investors that'll do that. If you're a strong, strong bar, strong business, um, you know. And then some banks will say, well, we want 15 or 20% down, even though SBA doesn't necessarily require that. So, so even within a space, there can be great variation. Um, Like community banks, for instance, we love community banks. And so one of the sources that we have is, is a, is a group of community banks. So you're not just talking to one, but you're talking to a, a portfolio of participating community banks nationally. And so they're more aggressive than if you go just to the local community bank, because now they're not taking hundred percent of the risk. They might be taking 20% of the risk. Mm-hmm. So five of them. So might have a community bank in Texas, might have a community bank in Arizona, might have one in Virginia, might have one in North Carolina. They're all taking 20, 
very little risk for them. And so they can be more aggressive on their terms and it's a win for everybody. You know, so there's a lot of ways that, that, that things can be done that are outside of the, the sort of traditional box. And then the other thing is the flip side to that is there's a lot of um, um, sharks in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, you know, you see this all FinTech and, and whatnot, you know, go on and, and get a, you know, get a, like a merchant cash advance or something like that, that businesses will get and these FinTech guys, they make it easy and they make it fast, but you pay a hefty, hefty price for that. Yeah. And so their solution, there are some solutions that, that beat the pants off that stuff, but you gotta, you gotta look, you gotta, you gotta ask, you gotta, you know, you gotta be a little diligent um, and know that, that, that their alternatives exist. So you don't, bark up the wrong tree because once you sign the papers you're you know you're you're in the game right yeah yeah you're in there for the long term you're like the postal postal delivery person right you know rain snow or or, or sleet we're going to be there you know every month <laughs> <laughs> so in a bad way and paul you touched on a bit about so yeah once you're bringing an equity partner and you're you know you're three or four years four years down the line and it's it's different from what it was when they first when you first got them so how, how, how do you approach talking about buying out a partner or an equity partner? Yeah, that has to be done up front. You know, it's, okay. the, it's the same. Yeah, particularly like on, you know, partnerships are, are tricky no matter how you structure it, whether it's a real estate deal or it's a business deal. Um, the, the most successful ones I've seen are pre-negotiated ends in mind. You know, Jim Collins okay. talked about it. Good, good to great. You know, begin, I think it was good to great. Begin with the end in mind. And so- You've got, and if you go into any business or real estate deal, you should know upfront what your goal is, what's your exit strategy. You know, are you building a lifestyle business? Are you building a business that you want to grow and sell in five years? Um, are you, you know, are you buy building a real estate portfolio? You're going to be maybe you're buying up um, related businesses to sort of roll them up into a large entity. I've got a, I've got a friend. They're doing that with veterinary practices. They're buying the local vets and they're rolling them up. And their goal is, in the course of two or three years, to sell it to um, you know, as, as a packaged deal, mm-hmm. but that's the plan going in. So, you know, that, you know, the sort of the goal at the end, then you also need to know the goal with the equity partner and pre-negotiate that so that everyone knows upfront, because you're not going to, you're going to have a really tough time at the end negotiating that. Yeah. Right. I, I don't have any advice there at all. Other, <laughs> other than, be very patient. And, you know, then circumstances a lot of times will drive those deals because, you know, if the business is doing really well, it's very profitable. You're, you know, you're going to have a hard time. If the business isn't doing well, then you're going to be under a, under stress to try to resolve something, you know? So it's, if you're in a situation like that now and things are sort of going okay, then, then, then maybe now is the time to sit down with your equity partners and try to formulate, Hey, what is our end goal here? What do we want to see mm-hmm. happen in two years, three years, four years, do you want to be a part of that? You know, do I want you to be a part of that kind of thing? And, and that, but, but, but definitely don't wait until you're at that point where you have to do something because now you've lost all the ability to have um, rational thought and any kind of a negotiating position that's, that's of strength right. uh, or at least, okay. or at least parity, right. Yeah. You know, at least parity. So the earlier, the better you can identify that I think is the secret. And, um, and it, it happens so rarely, but, <laughs> but it's so important Yeah, absolutely. because nobody wants to talk about the end, right? It's almost like yeah. a prenuptial, right? I'm going to marry you, but you know, 
here's the deal before we get married. Right. Well, but at least in business, it's, you know, what's love got to do with this, right? We're in this for a specific outcome and, you know, we're going to be together for, you know, for X, Y, and Z it's defined. And then everyone's clear, you know, and that's the biggest problem I see in, in business. You know, a lot of these businesses that we analyze and just operationally, there's, there's a lot of fuzziness in the operation, right? There's the, the job descriptions aren't clear. The outcomes aren't clear of what I'm trying to accomplish for each, you know, position. And so it creates problems. Um, and, and the most successfully run businesses have clearly defined that when they bring somebody on and they have, Hey, this is your job. I may not tell you exactly how to do it, but this is the outcome I'm expecting. These are the results I'm expecting. And if they don't, hit the results, then we know we have to make an adjustment somewhere. So it's, it's very, it's, it's not subjective. It's very objective, but defined right. up front and everybody knows. And so there's no, there's no mystery, you know, or, or surprise when you say, Hey, you know, Freddie, I don't think this is working out. You know, we, you're not really hitting your goals, you yeah. know, that we talked about day one and you know what they are. Right. So. Exactly. Okay. And, and Paul, so I, we hear a lot in the media nowadays, especially about entrepreneurs, especially about the ones who do really well, right? They're not paying their fair share or this or mm-hmm. that. I think one of my favorites is Elon Musk. So, I mean, why do you think entrepreneurs are the hope of the world and they're not, they, they don't get as much credit as they should be getting? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, the, the, the not paying their fair share. I always laugh at that, you know, Everyone looks at, so, so when you have a dream and you're like, Hey, and you go to your wife and say, I want to do this. Or you go to your friends. I've got this business. I want to start. They all tell you what you're crazy. Yeah, It'll never work. work. You're right. What yeah. don't leave your good, your cush nine to five at IBM or somewhere. Right. You're set. Yeah. You're fine. So then you take the risk and you know, three, four, five years later, now you're successful. And then, and then what do they all say? Oh, man, you were lucky, man. Yeah. You're probably the only guy ever that you know, the, the, the environment was right. The economy is right. And, and you, and you're just super lucky. So you don't get any credit either way. Right. I mean, as, yeah. as the entrepreneur, so you took all this risk, you invested all of your blood, sweat, tears. You had a, a tremendous opportunity to fail and probably did along the way multiple yeah. times before you figured it out. Right. And um, there was a lot of luck involved and, and a lot of hard work and gut and just courage. And so those people that do that are the hope of this world because they, they don't listen to the naysayers. They don't listen to even the, the, the ones that are blowing smoke up your skirt, right? Yeah. Congratulations. You're, you're, you're in it because you have a bigger purpose, a, a dream, a vision, and you're going to go after it. And those people, the entrepreneurs, you know, we're the ones that create the jobs. We're the ones that give the opportunities yeah. to other people. We're the ones that empower them. And, you know, John Kennedy said it, a rising tide raises all ships. Same thing. You know, this, this country is built. Look, they, they, you know, you know, this country, we're all talking about, you know, racist, this racist, that can't get along with different groups, whatever business owners aren't like that business owners. They, they want, they want business. They're going to do yeah. what they can. They'll work with anybody. And you, you know, I don't care what your color is, what your creed is, what your, you know, sexual orientation, who cares? Can you do the job? Here's an opportunity. If you do it, I'm 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 your cheerleader. You know, we're gonna build each other up. And that's what that's what business owners, entrepreneurs do. And that's by, by having a positive dream. There's no time to to knock people. There's no time to yeah. live in the dirt and you know, and and 
you know, critics can find fault in, in anything, but they don't create anything. Yeah. So, and that's where I was talking about big too, you know, these big monolithic corporations, you know, we're in a world today, Donald, where, where, you know, certain groups are trying to aggregate the power up into the hands of the few and with monolithic corporations and, you know, monolithic government and tech, you can have a few people controlling a lot of things. And generally we're not winners as a result of that, because the more of that happens, the less freedom and independence that we have. And, and I think, I think the more free we are to exercise and pursue our dreams and passions, whatever they are, the more people around us win because we encourage people with our story. We encourage your family when they see you succeed, they're encouraged your community. Now you can give back, right? You've got maybe some extra money. You've got some time you can give to the community. Well, you can't give your money and time if you don't have it. Yeah. You know? And, and so, and you can't get up in front of somebody who's struggling and say, look, I've been there, you know, if, you know, I'll help you get there. And because I have the resources. So I think, I think that's, I think the entrepreneur is the hope of the world because people have the opportunity to become who they're created to be. And I think in, in their wake, we create opportunity for so many other people and i um, pretty passionate about that. Yeah, 100% agree. All right, so let's hop into a quick um, lightning round, Paul, before I let you slide out. Yeah, fire away. All right, so what, what book or books have greatly influenced your life? Uh, first one is the Bible, has influenced me greatly. Um, it does every day. A book I've read recently that's been pretty impactful for me is a book called Go For No. Um, it's by Richard Fenton and it's really kind of flips the philosophy on, um, you know, sales and marketing and business and really life. You know, most of us don't want to hear no, when we're building a business, whatever we want to hear. Yes. But the problem with that is, um, you've got to get enough no's before you're going to get yeses and you can sell yourself short. If you're, you know, if every call of every contact has to be a yes, I get so, I get so, um, uh, anxious because I'm going to pick up the phone call. He might say no. Yeah, he might say no. But if I'm going for, for 10 or 20 no's this week, then I know I'm going to get three or four yeses somewhere along the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a really fast read. It's kind of an interesting philosophical shift to just kind of thinking and, you know, approaching things. All right. Go for no. I'll check that out. All right. And how has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? I think it's given me perspective. Um, I mentioned 2008, the business crashing, you know, in the, in the world, it was a business. It was a seven figure business. I was positioning to sell and it, and the liquidity completely dried up. There's a lot of issues that hit all at once. And I realized on the other side of that, that, you know, yeah, whatever happens, I can handle it. Hmm. You know, I'm just going to bounce, get up, dust myself up. I'm still alive. I have a lot of things to be thankful for. You know, I've got my health, I got my family, I've got this country an opportunity to do things. There's a lot of people that don't have that. And so even though um, I wasn't able to achieve what I wanted to there, I realized that, hey, I've got, I still have opportunity. So I think, um, I think it just kind of tempered me a little bit. Okay. And Paul, if you could have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? <laughs> um. I would, I would have to say just do it, but somebody's already got that. Right. <laughs> so I'm not sure who that is, but how about this? Um, reinvent yourself. 
because everything today changes. There's no such thing. There's no constant, but change. And if you don't reinvent yourself over time, then you'll be left on somebody, as they said, the ash heap of history. Definitely. hundred percent agree there for sure. Okay. And Paul, so, and talking about no, what have you become better at saying no to? <laughs> um, I don't help friends move. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't own a pickup truck, but um, no, I, I think my time every, every day I try to become a better gatekeeper of my time and saying no to certain phone calls, saying no to um, appointments, meetings, and things like that, that have less and less direct value or impact on what I'm trying to achieve. I'm not there yet. And it's a daily thing because I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a guy that likes to say, I like to please people. I like to say yes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's, but I realize. you know, it doesn't serve me. And so if if it doesn't serve me and it's not being selfish, but if I'm not doing what I feel like I'm called to do and I'm staying in my lane, then I'm not as productive and therefore I can't help as many people as I want to help. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you there. It's it's a daily fight, but I realize that's something I need to continue to work at for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, and last one, you might have to dig pretty deep on this one. So what what important truth do very few people agree with you on? That you are the creator of your own future in your life. Nice. Particularly today, everybody's a victim. You know, I'm not this because of that. The reality is we build our future in our own mind and then therefore by our own actions. And so you are where you are because of what you've chosen, who you've chosen to be and the way you think, mm-hmm. which is really empowering, I think, yeah. because I can cha- I now have control. I can change some stupid things that I've done or that I do to be better so that my life then becomes better on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. You can choose to make yourself the victim where you have no control, or you can say, hey, this is all totally under my control and I could change it on a dime. Absolutely. All right. Excellent, Paul. Excellent. Great. So so much great content there. Great having you on today. So before yeah, we great. before we hop off, if um if anybody wants to get in contact with you, collaborate, um, find out more about you, what's the best way for them to get into contact? Yeah, Donald, absolutely. So I have put together a web page for your listeners they can go to, and I've got a resource there, um, uh, the key questions that you must ask before seek, seeking funding. And it's a great resource. It's a tool that that will walk you through the process of, you know, from why do I need the money all the way down to what does it look like? And it's highly effective, I think. And I've put in, in the web page is this, it's VPC Victor Paul Charlie dot capital slash podcast and then a little dash deal maker. Okay. So and there's no dot com in there, VPC dot capital slash podcast dash deal maker. All right, perfect. Excellent. We'll run that across the screen as well. Excellent. Excellent. And they can click a button and schedule an appointment to have a conversation as well too. a little 15, 20 minute discovery call just to kind of see if there's anything that, you know, we might be able to add value uh, with them on. All right. Very cool. 
All right, Paul, thanks so much for coming on today. Really enjoyed it. Um, let's definitely um, stay in touch and um, work on a few deals together in the future. Excellent, Donald. Thank you. I had a great time today. Really enjoyed your conversation and uh, enjoy uh, Tokyo. Uh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon, Paul. Take care. You bet. Bye now.